Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. It's amazing in years of pastoring and years of church work, the discussion that comes a lot of times in people's lives. I wish that they would do that. I wish that they would do that. And and I can understand personal preferences. But when personal preferences comes against the rest of the body or against what others need, then you start thinking, are you just thinking of yourself? Or are you really and truly thinking of the corporate body of believers? And that's one of the other things that Paul hits on really big in 1 Corinthians. This whole idea that we are the body of Christ. And yeah, there's individuals, there's diversity within that body, but we work and we act like a body. Do your actions show a consideration for the body of Christ, or do they show only a consideration for yourself? Pastor David teaches you today that you're called to contribute to the body. This means that you need to be aware that your journey with Christ is not just about you and Jesus, but also about you contributing to His kingdom. Through being open to His will and consistently trying to be more like Him, you'll find yourself serving and placing others before yourself. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as he begins his message, A Blessed Pain. Well, if you're not familiar with it, Wednesday nights right now is kind of a crazy time. We're trying to get through the Bible, okay, a little over a year. Uh, If we would have made it through in a year, we'd have been finished by the end of April. We are now uh, middle of June, and we're but we're in the New Testament, and you've got to agree, those of you that have been here, we picked up the pace. We did all four of the Gospels one Wednesday night. We did the Book of Acts one Wednesday night. We did the book of Romans in one Wednesday night. I was tired after that one. I was, it was, that was fun. That was last week. And so tonight, the title of the message is The Church of Corinth, A Blessed Pain. Okay? A Blessed Pain. Corinth uh, was, was the church that seemed to, to have it all. I mean, it just seemed like they, they had everything but yet they lacked the most important thing. They lacked humility, and they actually lacked love for each other. And we're going to be looking at that uh, tonight. We're going to look at both letters, hopefully, tonight, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So hopefully you've got your skates on, you're ready to go. The letters uh, to the church in Corinth, uh, coming from again from the Apostle Paul, written fairly close in time together. Uh, it believes that uh, though they cover different issues, it's only within about a, a year or so between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. It's believed that 1 Corinthians was written around A.D. 55, 2 Corinthians around 56 to 57 uh, A.D., uh, and and it's actually believed that there was very possibly a lost letter in between the two of those. So we would have had first, 
2nd and 3rd Corinthians, but somehow that 2nd Corinthians we don't have. But we find that in 2nd Corinthians, Paul seems to be answering a whole lot of questions or following up on some things that he said, that he stated, that again, we don't have that evidence with us. Well, Paul had, was actually the one that had founded the, the church there in Corinth during his second missionary journey. After that council of the apostles there in Jerusalem that we read about in Acts 15, remember the big breakup between the apostle Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas took John Mark, they went one way. The apostle Paul took a fellow by the name of Silas, they went another way. And again, as Paul and Silas traveled through Syria and Cilicia, they eventually arrived in an area uh, known as Galatia. And in some form or another, the Holy Spirit had prevented Paul from going north and preaching. And yet during that time, Paul had Paul was called to, or directed to go over to what's called Troas. Troas was on what would be the uh, the eastern shore of the Aegean Sea or the western side of what is now Turkey. And Troas is right there on the shore. It's while they're in Troas that Paul has this vision or this dream, the man of Macedonia, that says, come over and help us. And so he takes that as being from the Lord. And so at that point in time, Paul and the ministry team leave Troas, and it's actually in Troas where uh, Luke joins in with the team. And we looked at that as we were going through the book of Acts, how Luke writes, uh, they did this, they did this, they did this, until they got to Troas, and then it became, we did this, we went here, we went there. So again, we, we see all of that going. In reading through uh, the, the, the book of Acts we, in chapters 16 and 17, uh, we found that their interest two important things the 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 vision and also Luke joining them well, after they sailed across the Aegean Sea, they eventually ended up in the Roman colony of Philippi after a couple of other short uh, passages through some cities there. From Philippi, they traveled south to Thessalonica. And again, if you were with us when we were studying in the book of Thessalonians, we talked about the problems that they had in Philippi. So they went on down to Thessalonica. There in Thessalonica, they had some issues. We uh, will cover that more as we get uh, uh, to those books through this uh, Wednesday night study. But in Acts 18, it actually tells us most of the story of Paul's ministry there in Corinth. And he was there about about a year and a half. So once he arrived in Corinth, he met a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, and he stayed with them for a while. Uh, they, they, they worked the same trade. They, they had the same uh, occupation. They were tent makers, and that's how they were making their living at that point in time. And once he got into Corinth, he began speaking in the synagogues, and many became to, came to faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah while he was teaching in the synagogues. And that, of course, that led to this big Jewish persecution against Paul and against the whole ministry team. So they moved, this is so cool, they moved the ministry out of the synagogue to a fellow by the name of Justice's house. 
Well, the cool thing was his house was right next to the synagogue. And so he continued on right there. And we also find out in Acts 18 that a fellow by the name of Crispus, who is the leader of the synagogue, actually became a Christian too. And so now he's over there in Justice's house. Paul's there teaching. And again, many are coming to Christ through all of this. Just a, uh, just a great time uh, seeing what the Lord was doing. If you've got your Bibles, hopefully you do, I know you're probably in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Go to your left a couple of uh, uh, blocks, get to uh, the book of Acts chapter 18. Just a couple of real quick things. And uh, Acts 18 verse 8, just a short verse here, but, but again, it just speaks about the birth of the church. Acts 18 verse 8, in that verse it says, And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. That was the birth of the church there in Corinth. And then he goes on to say that uh, Paul continued there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. A year and a half, continued on teaching, proclaiming the word, until he finally came to the point where he moved on the rest of his journey. But that, that church there in Corinth never left his heart, and we see that in his writings to them. There was something special about that church that even when Paul has to write, uh, again, uh, corrections to them and instructions to them, you see the love of Paul for this group of folks that, man, it just seemed like they could be a real royal pain in the neck uh, at, at different things and over different issues. But yet we find out Paul's love, that special place in his heart. Now, go back to 1 Corinthians. And again, as I've shared with you multiple times, we're not going to cover every passage in these two books, and I guarantee you I'm going to miss your favorite passage in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. It just happens that way. But in 1 Corinthians, look down in, uh, in chapter 1. Look down in verse 4. Paul speaking about his relationship with the people and the church there in Corinth. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I believe there's this love, there's this joy that's being expressed by the apostle toward the church here that, again, you've got to understand, I believe, in order to fully understand the things that he's going to be writing to them in these next few chapters. Uh, some of you have children that are, um, what's the uh, word, strong-willed children. I, I don't want to raise of hands. Uh, but some of you know what that is. And maybe some of you were the strong-willed children in your family. That, that's what I look at Corinth as. Uh, Paul had given birth to this church, and yet, man, this church, as God blessed them, it just seemed like, man, they, they started doing stuff that you think, come on, guys, cool it, back down, you know, settle down, listen, learn. But the, we're going to see it as we go through there. From this point forward, Paul is going to be uh, admonishing them. 
He's going to be speaking words of correction and instruction to them, as, as, as well as trying to encourage them in their walk. Now, Paul had that authority to be able to do that. He had the authority to be able to speak these words to them because, number one, his commitment to them, but also because he was an apostle called by the Lord. Now, the church of Corinth, like I said, it seemed to have it all. It had a great heritage of leaders within the church, seemed to be a compassion for individuals, and we'll look at that in a moment. There was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that seemed to be very evident within that body of believers. Uh, All the gifts that were necessary for ministry seemed to be in action there in Corinth. They had a very diverse fellowship in a lot of ways. And by and large, it seemed as though they were financially secure. They were the church that, in essence, had it all. Today, we would look and say, Corinth, First Church of Corinth, you guys are a successful church. You're filled and you got this event going and this thing going, you got that ministry going and that ministry going. And yet Paul looked at them and said, yeah, but you know what? You're misfiring in so many areas. You got all this stuff going, but it's not quite on track. Now that's the good side when we look at all that they've got. When you start looking at the the backside of what I believe Paul was pointing to, you're going to see a multiple of problems. As Paul writes the letter to him, he hits on a lot of these problems. We'll look at it as we go through. Problems, yes, for the first century church, but also same, very similar problems that we have in churches today. When we look at chapters 1, uh, beginning at about verse 10, on through chapter 4, we find out that there's a lot of pride that's, that's in the background there. Pride in heritage, pride in their own wisdom. We find out in chapter 5 that uh, there seems to be, yeah, this this idea of uh, compassion for individuals, but no, actually what it ends up being is a toleration for sin and a a, a compromise in their ethics. Chapter 6, we see that there seems to be within the church uh, a willingness even to wrong each other, taking each other to court rather than getting things settled down, just to prove that they're right. You, you've probably known people like that. You know, they'll, they'll argue to the death just to prove they're right. That's kind of what we see here. Chapter 7, there's this big imbalance of the understanding of, of marriage, of marriage relationships, of commitment, uh, misunderstanding of the damage that, that divorce ha- has and the struggles really that are associated with divorce and remarriage, and Paul deals with those things. Uh, chapter 8 through chapter 9, uh, this inner struggle with our freedoms in Christ versus the, the consciousness uh, our conscience, uh, where, where do we pull those things? The abuse of personal freedoms uh, and, and offending uh, other brothers. Uh, we see that and Paul having to deal with that because that seemed to be going on on a regular basis. Chapters 10, chapters 11, you see this call for personal lives literally to be lived out in the purity of the gospel and how our corporate worship together ought to have a great consideration for one another and not simply for ourselves. Our corporate worship together ought to have great consideration for others, not just for ourselves. It's amazing in years of pastoring and years of church work, the discussion that comes a lot of times in people's 
lives. I wish that they would do that. I wish that they would do that. And, and I can understand personal preferences. But when personal preferences comes against the rest of the body or against what others need, then you start thinking, are you just thinking of yourself? Or are you really and truly thinking of the corporate body of believers? And that's one of the other things that Paul hits on really big in 1 Corinthians. This whole idea that we are the body of Christ. And yeah, there's individuals, there's diversity within that body, but we work and we act like a body. In chapters 12, 13, 14, we find some of the most detailed teachings and and examples, really, of the purity of worship and the use and the exercise of the gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. It's here in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as well as in Romans chapter 12, where we find a, a fairly solid list of not all of the gifts of the Spirit, but many of the gifts of the Spirit. I don't believe that they are totally all-inclusive of the gifts, but a, a good representation of what the Lord has available for the work of ministry and for the life of the church. And one of the reasons, and this is just a real quick understanding, one of the reasons I don't believe that it's all-inclusive is because Romans 12 includes some of the things that 1 Corinthians 12 includes, but then it includes other things. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 includes some of the things that Romans 12 has, but then it includes other things. And then you get to Ephesians 4, and you got some things in there that are in both lists, but maybe not in either list. So we see this, and they're all written by the same guy, by the Apostle Paul. He speaks of things like the words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, works of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, as well as the gifts of apostles, prophets, teachers, helps, and administration. Now, we're not going to go into a study on all those, but it is worth your personal study to go through. And what are those? What do they really mean? And again, these are represented or listed in those three different areas, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. And yet there's also those that are unique to each one of those lists. Unfortunately, these gifts, the ones in 1 Corinthians, the ones in Romans, the ones in Ephesians, they've all too often been used actually to, they, they, they've been divided, they've been sliced by a, a number of different Bible teachers through the years. They've been categorized, they've been shuffled until all too many and all too often, it seems like they've become this needed checklist to determine the spiritual temperature of an individual or of a church. Uh, you get questions like, so brother, what gift do you have? And if you don't know, you seem like, I don't don't know. Uh, Well, you don't even know your gift. Well, where are you? Who are you? How long have you been a believer? You ought to know your gift by now. Or uh, have you been, are you moving in your gifts, sister? Uh, I don't know if I'm moving in my gifts or not. I'm just trying to be obedient to the word of God, trying to do what he has in front of me to do. Uh, And then, then the one that's great for the ministry is your ministry a part of the fivefold ministry. I always tell people, no, we are like uh, four and a half, four, four three quarters. Uh, anyway, that's just my sick humor. Uh, or, or they'll ask, are you full gospel? No, uh, no, we're not full gospel. We're only about three quarters. Uh, you know. 
course we're full gospel, but not like you mean it. Uh, so suddenly we find that, 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 that a ministry becomes more focused on the gifts than they are on the giver. The edification and the glorification of one or a couple of individuals over the edification and the encouragement of the whole body of Christ. And again, Paul is very adamant here about the need for unity in the midst of our diversity and the need for the body to work together as that body of Christ. Yeah, individual members thereof, but we work together as the body. We we see all that in, in chapter 12. It's a great study. Take the time to look and to get into that. Chapter 12 is is so often spoken of as the love chapter. Now, I I will ask for a raise of hands, and maybe I'll get none, I don't know. But how many of you had chapter 13 or a portion of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians at your wedding ceremony? Anybody in here? Okay, one, two, a couple of them. Yeah, okay. Uh, And it's a great understanding of what love is. But you know what? It has nothing to do with marriage. It has how I relate to you, who are not not my wife, you're his wife. It's how I I would relate to Gary. It's how we would relate to each other in in Christ. It's what you and I are supposed to be as believers. We're supposed to be a demonstration of that love. And again, it is the move of the spirit more than the move of man of how we ought to be living. The type of love that's expressed in, in, in chapter 13, guess what? I can't do it. I can't do it. I've already fessed that up to my wife. She said, that's okay. She can't do it either. Outside of the work and the move of the Spirit working within us. You look at the depth and the core of those things, man, that's the Spirit of God working. That's not the move of man. That's not, that's not you and I you know, pumping ourselves up to be able to do all that. No, that's when we are fully surrendered in our lives to Christ. Corinth had so much going forth, and yet it seemed that they were on this spiritual train wreck. With all of the divisions and all of the pride, they they allowed those things to fester in their lives. It's no wonder that during their communion times, that there were times of drunkenness. Hey, let's come together and celebrate the, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. And they're getting plastered during the time. And Paul says, man, that, that's not right. They're, they're, they're cutting like in front of line to, to eat before the others during their love fest. It was crazy stuff that's going on. And in their worship times, there seemed to be this kind of spiritual one-upsmanship. Oh, he spoke in tongues. Well, I'm going to speak in tongues. Well, I'm going to speak in tongues a little bit more. Well, I'm going to speak in tongues a little bit louder. And Paul has to deal with all this stuff. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 is all about the apostle coming down on them because of their disorder, because of their abuse of the gifts during these corporate times of worship. Uh, He does not come against the gifts themselves. As a matter of fact, uh, he encourages the gifts, but he is against this continual abuse of the gifts. Look with me in, in chapter 12. And and I'm going to fly through chapter 12 and just touching on some uh, particular verses. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. So Paul understood that they were ignorant. You don't write that unless you know you are ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. And so I'm going to write these things. Down in verse 4 through 7, he explains them. Look, there is a diversity of gifts, but it's the same spirit. 
There are differences of ministry, but it's the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so, Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward. Please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page see you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word.